Welcome back to Mormon Talk. How's everybody doing? What's going on over there, Dave? I'm just fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Isn't that the standard Mormon answer? I'm just fine. Fine. Yeah. yeah I'm fine. So, today's episode, identity theft or hijacked at birth. Dave, the typical question again being, what the hell are we talking about? Okay, well, identity theft is a big issue in our day. And in in corporate America and just among the population as a whole, it can be a real problem to have your identity stolen from you. And it takes a lot of work to get it restored. But -hmm. there's a worse form of identity theft and that's the version that the church uses with its Aww. members. Yes. Aww. Well, I guess we'll talk about that a little bit today, uh, at least in our morbid, deranged minds, and, and see what we think about that topic. I have to agree, though. I think it's worse. Um, so, hey, let's start out with uh, the, the whole news thing. Are we ready to introduce this together? The LDS Church in... <laughs> Thanks for that. We we never line up, by the way, but who cares? Yeah, Yeah, that's what post-editing's for. (laughs) So, so Michelle, I don't know how to pronounce her last name. Keist or Quist? It's it's Q-U-I-S-T. So you could pronounce that at least two different ways. Um, so apologies, Michelle, if you actually listen to this program and and I mispronounced your name. And this is from the Tribune. Michelle is a Salt Lake City attorney and a columnist for the Salt Lake Tribune. So two, uh, two pretty decent achievements there. So kudos, Michelle. Uh, the, the article's titled, LDS Church and its newspaper dredge up tired old arguments against the ERA. Wow, that's pretty, that's kind of strong. Slash almost accusatory, right? Um, and so the article is, as the title suggests, so recently the Desert News came out with kind of an argument slash article against the ERA, talking about all the different concerns that, that are still there after 40 years and, and why it should still not be supported, etc. The ways in which it could be bad for women. The LDS Church responded to the article or added their comment to it, however you want to phrase that, that, quote, their stance on the ERA has not changed in 40 years, unquote, which means they're still against it. So it's an interesting article. It's pretty thorough. She goes through bit by bit on the points that are brought up in the article and and how she disagrees and where they're, where they're getting it wrong. So it's an interesting article. I'm not going to read all those points. You know, one of the criticisms of the ERA to begin with is, well, if we we accept something like that, it could introduce the idea of crazy things like like same sex marriage. Well, that that ship has obviously sailed, <laughs> so that's not wow. a separate concern anymore. It could create actually the reverse effect and be bad for women. And she talks about how that's not true. One other thing that I'll I'll tell you though, I wanted to bring up here. A day after the board's scaremongering editorial, the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints announced that its position on the ERA hasn't changed in 40 years. I talked about that. So this is what Michelle says. 
The only other thing that hasn't changed in 40 years is the pure doctrine of Christ. Okay, whatever. Um, so this is the point. Everything else is principle and practice. So she's talking about the church now. After 40 years set on a sandy foundation, so she's using that little primary song or doctrinal concept there of a sandy foundation, the church's position on the ERA has been proven wrong as well as short-sighted. I expected more today. Well, Sister Quist, I'm going to need to see you in my office. (laughs) (laughs) So first of all, does anybody, any reasonable person taken off the street, would they say that that's not a direct jab at the church? That that's yeah definitely a criticism of the church. Okay, so then we need to remember this triumvirate or this triad, whatever term you want to use. And we've talked about this in prior episodes. We'll talk about it again today. The church, God, and the brethren are synonymous. Mm-hmm. in the Mormon church. Okay. So she's criticizing the brethren. She's criticizing God because after all, he leads the brethren, right? And they lead the church. So she's in very dangerous waters there from a church disciplinary perspective. I actually commented on this article. I haven't seen whether my comment made it online or not. And I said, Hey, Michelle, first of all, I agree with all your thoughts here. Secondly, you better get ready to have disciplinary action from your local authorities, because if they see this article, they're not going to just sit down on that. And, you know, who knows? Maybe that happens with Michelle. Her scrutiny with the church uh, regarding the ERA stance may expand to a scrutiny of their truth claims. Who knows? Uh, and, And if that happened, I think she would probably welcome the disciplinary action, because she might see that it's all bullshit anyway. Yeah. And she anyway, find herself in our camp and uh yeah, and probably yeah. an effective advocate for helping people, you know, leave the church. In her position, certainly. Yeah, I I guarantee her network is strong uh and she's worked hard, you know, to to achieve what she has today and um yeah, some somebody like that would be welcome a welcome addition to uh the, the ex-Mormon community, whatever you want to call us estranged people. Devil worshipers. Yes, that's true. That's synonymous, just like church, God, and brethren. It's it's ex-Mormon, devil worshiper, and I don't know. Heathen? What are the third? <laughs> Heathen. There you go. <laughs> yes. Or we could return to the roots, paganism. That, that I guess that, you know, anyway. Uh, but I'm not religious, so that doesn't work. Crap. So getting back to point here, Dave, my favorite personal part of the show for your information. All right, let's kick it off. 1869. And this is a historical fact, but it also has a little slant to it that's significant regarding uh, Salt Lake City. So May 10th, the completion of the Transcontinental Railroad at Promontory Summit, Utah. So now the East and West are connected. Yeah, that was the whole Golden Spike thing, right? Golden Spike. Yeah. This ends Mormon pioneer period and begins significant non-LDS population. So that that is significant. Uh, Uh, Everybody's uh passing through. It's like Chicago or Atlanta. It's a major hub 
or about to become a pretty major hub. So, mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, that's interesting. Another thing that's somewhat historical, ZCMI. The ZCMI drugstore advertises it has just opened on Main Street with liquors and dropped by the case. <laughs> by the case. <laughs> by the case. Yeah. Nice. Get it done. Now that. That was, I think, also on an interesting historical tidbit, wasn't ZCMI the first uh, department store in America? Uh, that I do not know or, that. I, I or or know. something like that. Yeah. The first the first something merchant store uh, line, whatever. Yeah, I think if you look it up, it stands for Zion's Commercial Mercantile, mercantile. or something. Yeah, like it's Mercantile. Yeah. I don't, anyway, yep. All right, let's jump ahead to 1870. February 20th, Brigham Young preaches, Now the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints believes every word of truth believed in by the Holy Catholic Church. <laughs> he, Yeah, that's a trick statement. Yes, it right? is. Think about it. Yeah. Think about it. Yeah. So yeah. we won't even pursue that. May, May 5th, Salt Lake Tabernacle Fast and Testimony Meeting, Brigham Young spoke 12 minutes requesting mothers to leave your brats, I mean, leave your children at home if possible, so as not to disturb the meeting. Also, that gentlemen will desist be smearing the floors with tobacco spittle, and the tabernacle installs dozens of tobacco spittoons. It's <laughs> 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 uh, good stuff. Oh, yeah. Come on over for a chew. Oh, now let's switch gears to some really disturbing shit here. June June 18th. No, no more beheadings. Not yet. June 18th, First Counselor George A. Smith tells Salt Lake School of the Prophets about the evil of masturbation among young Mormons. Apostle Lorenzo Snow says that plural marriage would tend to diminish the evil of self-pollution. (laughs) <laughs> because you'd be, you'd be having sex with so many other women, you wouldn't feel the need, is what he's saying. He believes that indulgence on the part of men was less in plural marriage than in monogamy. Oh, so that's the answer. <laughs> Check it out. It keeps going. Elder George Reynolds, secretary to Brigham Young, also tells the school that where monogamy was the law, it compelled a more frequent sexual cohabitation than is right or proper. Medical books advise <laughs> sexual intercourse only once a month. <laughs> what? Medical books? Yeah, I don't know what that really means. Written by the church. <laughs> Who's medical books? Yeah. <laughs> once a month? Yeah, once a month. Wow. Okay. Hmm. I, I, you know. <laughs> That's whatever. What the hell they got their fingers in the middle of that shit for? Tell me. Oh, uh oh. No, no double pun there. Oh, wait, okay. hang on. Let me get the <laughs> Agent Orange. Okay. August 13th, LDS political newspaper, the Salt Lake Herald. So there's the Deseret News, and apparently a political paper entitled The Salt Lake Herald reports the outrage in which four unidentified men discharged the contents of a bottle filled with diluted excrements upon a Mormon apostate's TBH Stenhouse and his wife, Fanny. So they, oh my goodness. Yeah, so they threw shit at people for leaving the church, basically what happened. Huh. Yeah. All right. 
September 1st, Salt Lake City's Ninth Ward reports that only 31 of its 181 families attend Sunday services regularly. Oh, wow. And 50% of families are perfectly indifferent. (laughs) (laughs) I had no idea. I had this vision in my mind that everybody was like staunch back then. Like they went every week. Yeah. No, apostasy. Yeah, it started early on, I guess. Well, look at Kirtland, you know. Holy shit. October 8th, First Presidency Quorum of the Twelve, excommunication. They excommunicate, I should say, the following leaders of the Mountain Meadow Massacre. Isaac Haight, John D. Lee, George Wood. They are not to have the privilege of returning again to the church again in this life. Yeah, whatever. So that gets brought up again. Scapegoats. Yeah. So let's let's yep. X them. We can't even be associated with them. October 31st. Mm. Hey, Halloween. At the death of Utah's <laughs> governor, William Schaefer... Apostle Joseph F. Smith writes, now this is a man who speaks for God, okay? Okay. So this guy kicks the bucket. Joseph F. Smith writes, thank God he was a low, debauched, vulgar, senseless, ignorant cur, and the Lord be praised (laughs) that his vile, despicable existence has terminated. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) All right. All right. (laughs) <laughs> well, let's let's get a couple more, I guess. 1871, at Parowin School of the Prophets, speaking of the apostasy in the church, one of the local 70s presidents says there are many who are beginning to think they do not worship the same God that Brigham Young does. Interesting. Huh. So, again, no consensus about doctrine. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. A random statement here, June 27th, uh, from Brigham Young again. The city of Enoch stood where the Gulf of Mexico is now. So that's... Oh, that... Yeah, that's where that came from. It was good old Mm -hmm. Brigham having another revelation. Okay, this... uh, Back to masturbation, apparently. September 11th, Counselor Daniel H. Wells tells the Grantsville School of Prophets that a great many of our young men are abusing themselves by the habit of self-pollution or self-abuse, or as the Bible terms it, onanism, which he regards as one great cause of why so many of our young men are not married. (laughs) And it it was a, a great sin and would lead to insanity and a premature grave. Well, in my day, we were just told you'd go blind. (laughs) <laughs> According to him, you'll go insane and die early. <laughs> and, and damn it, we need them to marry and pop out more little Mormons because you know they're they're self pleasing. We can uh, and, we uh, we yeah. can wrap up that year. One final one from December sixteenth. Seymour B. Young. Seymour what? <laughs> <laughs> son of senior 70s president whatever writes salt lake has for the first time in its history houses of ill fame almost on every corner Ah. oh so we're masturbating too much and spending too much time with hookers (laughs) i'm gonna stop there because it's 
you know, I just didn't know. I have to claim I have to claim ignorance on a lot of that. St- I had no clue well, that they had such a problem with people attending church. But that sounds like the first time, like publicly at the pulpit, you know, where the brethren were coming out against masturbation, right? right like there. this had to be the first yeah. Time. yeah self-pollution. Self-pollution. That's, wow. Yeah. Onan, onanism. Onanism. O n a n. Yeah. Onan. The the. Uh, yeah. Onanism. Yeah. Onan. Hmm. That goes way back. Hmm. Uh, wow. Okay, right. so we're going to get into our subject matter now. Let's do it. Uh, I'm going to start with the list. This is the hijacked at birth part of it. Having your identity mm-hmm. stolen. I made a list of certain things that. Uh, take part you take a part of in your life as a member of the church and you think well geez that's that's a little strong really hijacked at birth and then i actually realized that your identity is stolen from you concerning your pre-earth life and your post-mortal life as well you're told not only who you are here now in this mortal probation but who you were before you got here and who you might become when you leave. So they just got mm. the whole thing wrapped up. They got everything. So the first thing that you hear is that you're a son or daughter of God. You're not an individual. Uh, you are owned essentially. Oh no, no, that's a negative way of putting it. You're blessed because you're the offspring of a God. I'm sorry. I got that mixed up. Okay, mm. one of the first things that happens right after birth, you're giving a name and a blessing, which is not an ordinance. No. But it's a very strong tr- tradition in the church. Uh, a name and a blessing. That's when your name goes on the church records. That's it. Yeah. So it is important yes. in that sense. The next ordinance is baptism, in which you are figuratively born again. And so there's all of that kind of, you know, a birth happening within the church. Now you're born like a son and daughter is born to to parents. Now you're born again, and now your family is the church. Mm-hmm. I never really thought about it that way until just now. That's a great that's, analogy. That's, yeah, you're born into a new family. Mm-hmm. Okay, later on, as a teenager, usually you're given a patriarchal blessing. And so now you're identified with some tribe of Israel. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, that's a whole nother, that's an episode, <laughs> yeah. I think. The church's fascination and, with Israel. Yeah, we, yeah. yeah. And we will do one on that, definitely. definitely. Yeah. Uh, later on, as you prepare for a mission, because that's expected, you go through the temple and receive a new name. So another mm-hmm. sense of identity change where, you know, actually, no, this is the name you've always been known by and will be called forth in the resurrection by this name. And by the way, the other 200 people that went through the <laughs> temple today also have the same name. The exact name, yeah. <laughs> and, and it was by inspiration they attended that day to yeah, get the right yeah, name. because they change the yeah. name every day. Yeah, or they go through a rotation okay. of names. Yeah. So <laughs> there it is. So it... it and it, it continues. Uh, I just wrote down something as we were starting. Even your callings or, or your ordinations, you're known as an elder or a sister as missionaries. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. And then you're known as a brother or sister thereafter. You know, the rest of your membership in the church is brother and sister. It's not your first name. Uh-uh. Although there are, of course, less casual things going on, or I should say more casual, yeah. like like barbecues and things. And you call each other by your first name. Yeah, sometimes. Uh, yeah. Sometimes. Okay. So you're told who you are, past, present, and future. As a result of this, the doctrines of the church, here's a list of things that you don't own as a member of the church. You don't own your own body. It's God's body. Mm -hmm. He created it for you, and it's sacred. Mm -hmm. And you can't just do anything you want with that body. It's not yours. You don't own your own spirit because you're a spirit son and daughter of God. It's God's spirit. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You don't own your experience on this earth. That's that's dictated and governed by, again, the doctrines of the church, the plan of salvation, and God's desires for you. To a certain extent, you don't own your own time. Uh, right in parallel with that, you don't own all of your own resources. You don't have freedom of thought. And as an expression of that, and we and we brought these things up before in small measure, you don't own the expression of individuality. Hmm. Yeah. And finally on, on my list, you don't own your own decision making about your own life. You so many decisions are made for you or expected. You know, again, like the decision to serve a mission. Well, no, it's not really a your choice. You're you're no. gonna go. If yeah, it's a commandment for for men. It's a it's a an option for women. I think it's still taught as an option for for women. Although many more more women are going now than ever. True. Uh, and I yeah I don't know how it's phrased, but for for men at least while we were growing up, it's a commandment. All men are expected to go. Well, is that really a choice then? No, no, not if you want to obey God's commandments, right? Which, yeah, anyway. And so, yeah, getting married in the temple, all these expectations. Uh, so now well, going down that... Yeah, thinking of just really quickly, uh, the, this writing on top of this facet that you don't own anything, right? Nothing is truly yours uh, in the in this life I, I get, or the next, really. I mean, you... There's some right. teaching of a little re- reprieval there when you go to the next life where you do get to start to own some things, I guess, but you still owe it all to Jesus and, and God the Father. So anyway, but to illustrate this concept of you don't own anything, I think this is a pretty potent illustration. When you go through the temple, you you take, you make these covenants, right? You go through these ordinances and um, one of the things is you covenant to obey the law of consecration. And so there's this point in the the ceremony there, to call it that, where you've got Peter, James, and John that are coming down to Adam and Eve and their posterity, which includes you. And they're giving you these laws and they're explaining you and to, to you these laws that you have to obey. And so this is Peter when he comes down. And says, we are instructed to give unto you the law of consecration as contained in the book of Doctrine and Covenants, 
in connection with the law of the gospel and the law of sacrifice. So that's the other two that you've already, which you have already received. Okay. It is that, here it goes, it is that you do consecrate yourselves, okay, your whole self, mm-hmm. <laughs> your time, talents, and everything with which the Lord has blessed you. And then here's the future clause, or with which he may bless you. <laughs> so hasn't blessed you with yet, but he might future. in the future. Two, wow. where are you consecrating all these things to? To the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, for the building up of the kingdom of God on the earth and for the establishment of Zion. So it's, it's noteworthy that the very first place that you consecrate yourself, your time, your talents, everything you're blessed with, everything you might be, but it's noteworthy that the first entity you consecrate that to is not God. It's the church. And then God has slipped in there for the building up of the kingdom of God. Oh, okay. That's for his kingdom. It's the church. You're you're consecrating it all to the church. And what's the same as the church? The brethren. So here we are again with that. Everything you are, your whole self, all your time, all your talents, boom, church owns them. And of course, you raise your hand to the square and and commit to that mm-hmm. on pain of death. I don't care if they took those you know penalties out or not. It's still it's still assumed that the consequence of not doing so is death. Yeah, spiritual death at least, right? Separation wow. from God. Pretty pretty uh, onerous. Yeah, pretty mm-hmm. intense. Uh, you talk about self. Self-identity, self-none. It's all committed to the church right there. Okay. Wow. So the power of making decisions, which I would view as one of the key elements of being alive. I mean, how, how do you, what is living life if it's not in large part the ability, the freedom to make decisions? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, here's. Here's some decisions that are made for you by the church. Thanks, guys, for taking all the pressure off. Yeah. Me to, on that. Now, here's one that you wouldn't think of, and it, it's actually kind of like a decision. And that is experiencing this life as a test. You're So you're going to live your whole life in a probationary state is what we're told. It's a test. So that actually colors everything you do. Every day. The way you act, the way you think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So going down, going down the list, how to dress, how to speak, how to think, and, and along those lines, Mormonism as a constant distraction. It's it's in your face in every way, all the time. So you don't have time to think about whether or not it's what you want to do with your life. You're too busy doing it. <laughs> yep. I ain't got time to decide whether or not this is for me or not. And I'm going to finish on that idea there about distraction and thoughts. Uh, Your education, uh, even your career, like where where are you going to attend college? It would be preferable if he went to BYU. Mm. You know, I mean, that's what we prefer. Mm -hmm. Uh, How about your entertainment, the music you listen to, the movies that you watch? Uh theater what every form of entertainment is 
products, a lot of things are highly discouraged. Mm -hmm. Here's another one that's a little bit nebulous, but the way you choose to look at others and the way you look at yourself. Certainly. Yes. So all the effort, think of all the effort involved in seeking acceptance of others and or God in a life like this dictated well by, and marriage by mormon don't forget marriage oh yeah yeah right down huge yeah, decision sure. huge decision that is basically uh, dictated and i don't mean by that that you don't have a choice uh you obviously have a choice in the person that you marry ultimately right that, that's going to be your choice they if they could they'd probably dig in that too um but but even let's say you've got you you've been dating you're at the point in your life where you're really serious about marriage you you just feel like I want to I want to tie the knot I want to get married I I'm I'm at that stage whatever and there's there's three or four people you've been kind of you know dating if you were to find that one or more of those people have not been obeying all of God's commandments or not you know been dedicating themselves to the church that kind of makes the decision for you if you're a good Mormon, mm -hmm. right? You can't, uh, you know, they're not quite as good as this this one over here who seems that they've really dedicated, they're, they're more obedient. You know, and that reminds me that even before you're considering marriage, uh, you're basically instructed who to spend time with. We, I don't want you hanging really around preferably anyone but other mormon youth mm -hmm. but if you do have friends that are not mormons they they better be upstanding mm -hmm. they better dress properly have a right haircut you know the all of those standards mormon standards uh so so many freedoms are taken away now to say that the church steals your identity and they hijack it at, at birth is a powerful statement, and there's all this evidence we've thrown out here, but I felt like it would be just as important to consider looking at it from a different vantage point, different perspective, just that, who and or what are you? So I referenced in our first podcast the experience that I had, which some call cosmic consciousness, uh, it seems really nebulous when, especially the titles. Like, what, what the hell are you talking about? Well, we all experience three D consciousness here in this life, and we know there's other levels of consciousness that can be um, arrived at or attained. I uh, spent years meditating. That was my introduction to it, and. What that does is it teaches you to watch your thoughts. It, people misunderstand. They think it means to stop thinking. Well, you are going to slow down that incessant stream of thoughts uh -huh. because 90% of them are repetitious and they're just feeling your mind That's and right. feeding, the, feeding the ego. And so, yes, that will subside as you continue to pursue meditation. Well, well, what is meditation? Meditation is a place of stillness that you find within. Your, well, it's the practice that helps you find that place of stillness mm -hmm. inside of you. So it's not 
the only effort involved is the effort to cease doing what you do 24 hours a day, which is this, again, this string of, of thoughts that go on and on. And, and that's, that's not really a problem. The problem is you identify with those thoughts and you, you assume I am those thoughts. Yeah. You start associating not, yourself with those thoughts with those thoughts. as your and identity. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So as a result of years of meditation and really finding that place of stillness, I like to call it deep within the center of our beings, I came to the realization that what we are, and this, there's a lot of different ways of saying it. This is just one of them. We are consciousness manifesting as an individuation of the life that fills all things. So consciousness, uh, there's all this debate about whether it's created by the brain or is it outside of me? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I mean, no, it's, it's so simple to, to, to think of it as you are consciousness current, currently manifesting in a three-dimensional physical form, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, in a dualistic world, that's what's going on. So what's the advantage of coming to that point of realizing that that's what I am and that's what I'm doing instead of this string of bullshit that you're taught by the church? Well, everything. Yeah. <laughs> you you live your life completely different. So instead of just talking about it, I want us to take just a minute here. And if you're driving, please don't attempt this. <laughs> but later at home. This is an example of that inner awareness that I'm speaking of and how to tap into it. We're going to do a simple exercise. Simply put your hands out in front of you where you're not touching anything, yourself or anything outside of yourself. There's no tactile thing, nothing going on that way. Now close your eyes. Take a couple deep breaths. Quiet, try to quiet your mind a little bit. Okay. Now ask yourself this question with your eyes closed. How do I know my hands are still there? And so what will happen is you'll inadvertently move a finger or something and you go, oh, there, I feel it. Try to feel into the presence that is not only in your hands, but your entire being. And you can do this uh, throughout your entire body. And you'll find that after you do an exercise like that, something has shifted, mm-hmm. even, e- even just the subtlest shift. And then you can go deeper and deeper. Uh, when you get into meditation, it's good to close the eyes because you're you're trying to not be distracted by the outside senses. That's what you're doing there. Right. And the, the easiest way to do that is to focus on the breath. How many times a day do you think about the fact that you're breathing? Probably none, unless you lose your breath. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you think, oh, shit, got the wind knocked out of me or whatever might be happening. When you do that, your breath will slow. It will become deeper. And you'll just feel a sense of peace. And as you continue 
to simply do that one thing, just find a place of quiet, try to get in a kind of a comfortable position, close your eyes and focus on your breath. Do that a few minutes every day and you'll notice that you're sensing something. What is it that sees me doing that? I'm doing that. Wait a minute. Is that me? Wait, no, that's my body that's doing that. What is the it that's witnessing me doing that? And it's called, in a lot of traditions, the witness. Uh (laughs) Simple. And that's your eternal self. That's the part of you that's that's infinite Um, and very powerful. So I ask myself, and then I'll get off this little soapbox. I ask myself one question. Would I have ever left the church had I not had this cosmic conscious experience? Well, I did have it, so I guess I'll never know. My guess is that I would have came across a lot of the information that happened for me after I had a paradigm shift. Mm -hmm. I started to find the history and all of the doctrinal problems and fuck all of the problems. Yeah, you don't have to Yeah. Yeah, I would have come to that conclusion, I'm sure. I hope that's yeah. that little thing practice has been some help to you. Uh you you can't find out who you are reading something somebody else wrote in a book. <laughs> no. You you are you and it's it's deep inside of you, a place of of pure stillness and awareness. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> oh, thanks, David. I really appreciate that. And and I concur, you know, and it's 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 like, you know, for the listeners, it's funny. I'm I'm going to play some clips here from a media thing and I'll explain. Uh, I'll preface it in a second. Um but before I do that, um yeah, you'll hear so one of the things uh that the church will often, the missionaries will tell you, or the church, the brethren will tell you or whatever they'll send, they'll say it in their media. It's not like we're trying to convince you of anything. (laughs) We're just trying to share our experience. Well, and that's funny because you've got two, two different paradigms there. You've got an example of the type of kind of self-awareness consciousness, you know, realization, whatever that, that David was just trying to share a little bit about, Versus the church's stance um, where, look, we have all the answers, you know, and we're, not, we're not trying to convince you to believe these answers. We're trying to share experiences we have with these. And their experience is what they call the spirit, the Holy Ghost. And you can know the truth of things by feeling this thing. And so basically what they're talking about is an emotion. So through emotions, you can know truth. Um, true. And, and that's a dangerous, uh, foundation for knowing whether something is true or not. And we've talked about that. Emotions can be very misleading. Sometimes they're on track, right? Um, but a lot of times they aren't. And so, yes, we can realize we're experiencing an emotion. That fact is real as we experience it, but, but we can be careful just because we feel good whatever you want to call it, warm or fuzzy or good about something doesn't mean that that thing is literally, literally has veracity, that it's actually factually true. It just means that the idea is pleasing, right? And so that, that's a big difference 
between mm-hmm. whether something sounds or feels good and whether something is really true, right? And and you know, anyway. Um, but that's the media of the church plays on this. They play on emotions, and for many years, I'm sure into the future, it won't stop. The church has invested a lot of their followers' money by way of tithing into media. And media has always been a big arm of the church. And it's really what brought them into mainstream. If you look mm-hmm. especially into, I'm going to say, I mean, media started way back with the church. But, but uh, it, it, yeah. in earnest, uh, David O. McKay is yeah. when it started in earnest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And David O. McKay's era was around when again, Dave? 50s, 60s? Yeah, so 50s and uh, 60s it starts, and you can actually find some of these old church videos on YouTube from the 50s and 60s, Uh, and then into the 70s, into the early 80s, Man's Search for Happiness was one that I think was redone a couple times. The 80s was known for very sappy, cheesy media (laughs) from the church, Uh, and look sappy cheesy ballads right on the radio <laughs> some of them yeah, uh, yeah maybe that was just the decade uh there was also some fun music as well from the 80s but anyway um the point is um sappy you know whatever very touchy-feely emotionally charged emotionally focused media from the church a very famous one came out around 86 i think was called our heavenly father's plan and I wanted to play little bits and pieces of it. Uh, you can find this on YouTube. I think it's around 28 minutes total is the whole length of the thing. But little bits and pieces that that go back to some of the things that we just talked about as far as, so there, here's this guy that tells you he was lost. He always had these questions. Um, and basically the church provided the answers. And he's not going to try to convince you that what he found is is true. He just wants to share his experience with you. <laughs> oh, how considerate. Yeah, oh. I'm going to point oh. out a couple of things that are ironic about that statement in a minute. But uh, let's jump into it a little. So I'm going to just start uh, with a little clip here where he says something about this question. And, you know, pardon little pauses as I jump to certain parts in the video here. So here it goes. Who am I? What's the purpose of life? Sooner or later, I think everyone asks these questions. Right? Um, true. You could start to hear a little of the dramatic music in the background there. Um, so I think yeah. maybe psychopaths and or sociopaths are the only people that wouldn't ask those questions necessarily Probably. about life. Yeah, 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 probably. Whatever. So here's his first concept, and David talked about this in our lists earlier. The first concept I'd like to share with you is that God is our Father, and that we, all of us, are His children, and that He loves each of us so much that He developed a plan that would enable each of us to reach our greatest potential. And the first step in this plan was for us to come to Earth. Oh, so yeah, that music is just yeah, almost too much. I, I'm skipping <laughs> all the songs because the songs would probably make you drive off the road on purpose if you were driving. <laughs> um, maybe seek the closest cliff. Uh, 
but uh, God's our father. We're his children. He loves us. He developed a plan. Sounds nice, right? It sounds nice. It's yeah, not like but terrible. Uh, under, underneath, know. there there's yeah. that implied ownership. That's right. That's it, right. Not, not all this about how much he loves us and how lucky we are that we have a father in heaven. He's our boss. Well, that's right. But hey, he, we have you know, agency, David. So check this oh, out. Oh, I'm sorry. Concept. Here we go. Ready? Ready. I here should we go. say here that a very important part of our Father in Heaven's plan is individual freedom to choose or free agency. He knew that without the ability to make our own choices and to learn from our individual decisions, the growing process would be virtually impossible. Well, and sometimes <laughs> well, something what? causes us heartache or pain. We probably wish we hadn't been given so much freedom. Yeah, yeah. Well, what? We make mistakes. We wish, damn it. I wish I didn't have so much freedom. Because yeah, because I just keep I fucking up. up. But uh, it's, this, it's this interesting psychological play here. And, and David hit on it with his lists, again, from earlier. We're told, hey, you have agency. Um well, that that's true in that you can decide to follow the church or not, right? And if but if you follow the church, essentially your agency ceases. And that's the part that really isn't shared, at least in those words, no. right? And and that's what you were talking about, Dave, is, right. is we're yeah. assuming that we're, we're assuming with all those lists that you're a person who, you know, you believe the church, you follow the church to the best of your ability, okay, that's you then. And these lists all apply to you, including you give up your identity, which is really what we were talking about. Um, obviously, you have the choice not to follow the church, and then you really aren't a good member, and you're not. But you're not giving up your identity at that point. So it's one or the other. So he talks about God. You know, I just have to play it for you. So here's here's this concept of how did God tell us this plan? Okay. When Father sent us here to Earth. He knew that we'd have to struggle to find the answers to life's tough questions. But he hasn't left us alone. Okay. Someone has seen what we're looking for. Uh-oh. Someone has been down the road before us. And when you think about it, it wouldn't make very much sense for a concerned father to send his children away to learn important truths without also making sure there was a way for us to find those truths. Well, that that's true. That would be a little morbid, wouldn't it? Um, so what is the way that we're supposed to find this truth about who we really are, our identity, etc.? Well, let's, let's see what he says. Well, the pattern our Father in Heaven designed for His children to find answers about the purpose of life hasn't changed since the world began. <gasps> our Heavenly Father has always spoken to prophets. Oh. These special people like Moses and Isaiah are given profound truths from God himself, which are meant to bless all of Heavenly Father's children and to help them to understand his plan. Then, he commands his prophets to share these truths with everyone they can. The prophets share the message with all who will listen to them personally or read the things they have written. This is how we get scripture. Prophets write down the things they've learned from God. But, God doesn't ask all the rest of his children to oh. simply take their word for it. Here's the clincher. Promise uh. to tell us personally, this is it. by the power of the Holy Ghost, what is true, oh. if we ask him. Okay. In other words, when we hear or read something that claims to be the truth from our Father in Heaven, 
we can know for ourselves if those things are true. <gasps> we just have to ask him. Okay, so he talks to these guys, so they hear voices. <laughs> they say, this is God. Uh, okay. Uh, that would be scary to just trust, right? Which he points out. Uh, he he probably avoids the fact of how scary that is that they hear voices anyway, but <laughs> regardless. And then I can know if the scriptures or if what they're telling me, if they're a living prophet is true by just asking God. Well, that seems pretty simple. So I'm asking to hear voices or I'm asking to f- somehow get this answer and I know it through the Holy Ghost. Well, when you ask them what that is, the Holy Ghost, again, is feelings, right? Um, so through my feelings, I can know if these things that are written or things I'm being told are true. I Again, I don't know about the veracity of that method. That seems a little, hmm, dangerous? I, I don't know. But here's what he did. Here, here's here, Here's what the narrator did kind of hard to talk about Uh-oh. and almost impossible for me to describe, but my simple prayer was heard and answered. Um, hmm. How do you know that your prayer was heard and answered? Let's... Uh. Of all the evidence there is that God loves us, Nothing is as sweet and real or as lasting as having received an honest answer to a sincere prayer. Hmm. I know if he answers me, he'll answer you. Hmm. Perfect. Uh, Yeah. So how do you know he answered you again? By, By a feeling? I that's that's evidence. Feeling is an evidence. Okay. Here we go again. He's going to tell you he's not trying to convince you, but here's what he knows, right? Hold on a second. I now know that I am a child of God. Okay. And that he'll always be there. And that I can talk to him at any time like a friend. Hmm. Like a Heavenly Father. Like an imaginary friend. (laughs) I hope you can experience that for yourself. Oh. I really do. Thanks, dude. Um That's awesome. What's this guy's phone number? I gotta look him up right now. (laughs) He's kinda hot too, actually. So here's another creepy thing. I don't want to, you know, we're going to hit an hour probably like we usually do, but this is just worth sharing. So I'm going to jump ahead here. So he talks about the scriptures. He talks about, so one of the things we need to do is overcome sin as part of this plan. Here we go. Listen. To take full advantage of Jesus Christ's sacrifice for us, we have to prayerfully acknowledge his role in the plan and grow through the process of changing and overcoming when we've sinned. The light of Christ is God's free gift to all people to Hmm. serve as a conscience, to let us know when we've done wrong and when we need to change. And though it isn't easy to change and grow and improve, there's a place inside you that only you have known Uh that whispers, it's the only way. 
And you won't be alone. The strength and power of the Lord's love is truly amazing. So there's a secret place inside you that tells you it's the only way. Is there no other way? No, Adam, there is no other way. <laughs> uh, what is that secret place inside me? That sounds a little scary. And, and I, what, you know, I, that, that anyway, here's, here's the part that I'm going to kind of end with here because this is, uh, you listen and tell me what you think. I'd like to share something else with you. And that is the happiness that has come into my life by knowing about the plan. Okay. Knowing. Okay. Keep that in mind. And knowing that we are all literally children of a loving father in heaven. Knowing. And since we are all his children, I guess you and I are brothers and sisters. Oh. So as your brother. Oh. Oh. Help me to catch the spirit of what I've been sharing. Now here it comes. I said in the beginning that I'm not trying so much to convince you that what that what I believe is right. Um, well, you just said you know. So how is that not trying to convince me anyway? As much as I'm just hoping to share with you oh. what I found so that you can find out for yourself whether it's true or not. So this isn't a psychological fuck over or anything. I I know these things now. I know, I know, I know. I'm not trying to convince you of anything. I'm just trying to share an experience about these things that I know. So now where are you left as a listener? So if you don't, wow, this guy knows this shit. So if I don't try to get there too, I'm an idiot because... I would be avoiding something or ignoring something that, that this guy knows is true, even though he's not trying to convince me or anything. Yeah, <laughs> there's a couple assumptions there. That's very good. One is that you're not smart enough yeah. to, to recognize it yourself, and, mm -hmm. and you're not spiritual enough or something. It's your fault. It's your fault. If you don't get it, it's your fault. We're back to the spirit. And Dave, you and I have talked about that umpteen times and it will keep coming up. It'll keep coming up because that is really the only way to know that any of this is true, according to the church, is, is to feel these feelings through the spirit. Uh, so, and, and so that's it. And, and really, you know, historically, we've talked about this as well a little bit. They did kind of have other things on their side, like this, the <laughs> Book of Mormon, and it, it looked like even maybe archaeological finds in Central and South America were supporting those claims. You know, as time goes on, we have found all of the major core truth claims of the church, evidentially speaking, like through actual found evidence, journals, discourses, yeah. archaeology, etc., have been proven false, like the Book of Mormon has been pre and so they don't have that to as a backing anymore so now all they have is this idea of the holy ghost well i know all these things have kind of sort of been proven wrong but if you just still if it still feels good <laughs> then then it's true you know and that's what we're left with and there and we could look this up uh through uh, studies of psychology and so forth there's a mechanism in a person 
when you're in a, a, a group setting, even if it's, if it's just you and two mm-hmm. other missionaries in the room, and you're being placed in a uh, situation like that where it's your duty to feel this spirit, there's a mechanism within you that can create this oh, burning yeah. bosom thing or or, or whatever you, they want to describe That's it right. as, a warm yeah. fuzzy, to comply mm-hmm. with the situation. Your your mind is definitely powerful enough to create a psychosomatic reaction in your body. And it does it for many things. You know, when my wife and I were sitting right. in a theater in London on our vacation and we're watching the Harry Potter uh, thing and there's this dramatic event, I felt a, a, the same kind of feeling as I would have described as the spirit, you know in a, mm-hmm. in a f- testimony meeting or something at church. And I, I knew yeah. it. Harry Potter, Potter is true. true. Right. <laughs> and people joke <laughs> about it. And, oh no, it's not this. It's exactly the fucking same. It, it is the exact same kind yes, of feeling yes. that I felt. It's this psychosomatic. It's you're getting emotionally involved and, and you're, you, you're moved. Yes. That's a word for it. You're moved emotionally by this thing. And so that doesn't fucking mean it's true. Um, but anyway, we digress. We could go on and on about that point. One of the things that you're hijacked in, in as, a, as a young age is with primary songs. And that's how we're going to end <laughs> our episode today. I'm not going to play the whole thing, but just remember this. Ready? It's an accordion, by the way. <laughs> Here it goes. Jesus wants me for a song to shine for him each day. In your grave, I try to please him at home, at school, at play. Okay, in every way, try to please him at home, at school, at play. Play. And when you get older, at home, at work, at play. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, your life is designed, uh, structured in such a way that your whole goal is to please God. What kind of a sick <laughs> being who calls himself a God needs to be pleased? Yeah. Think about that one fact. Yeah. Why, do, why does he have an egoic need so powerful that he needs constantly to be pleased by his children, his creation, his children. For God's what? sake, Come yeah, on, people, yeah, love that. We'll leave on that kind note that little <laughs> little children are taught at a very young age. It's so special, please, Jesus, with everything you do, <laughs> and we love you guys. Hopefully, this episode pleased you in every way. <laughs> and you'll be back next week. Please, please. Otherwise, I'll be so depressed. Oh, <laughs> All right, guys. Catch you later. Adios.